You're listening to the Bay Christian Family Church Podcast. Praise God as you see that open your Bible at Acts chapter 10. Let me see how many of us today have got friends and family that we would like to see come to Jesus. We want to lead them to the Lord. Friends, let me see. Just raise your hand. You got, I believe every single hand would go up because we know that there are many, many people out there desiring to know Jesus, that they may not even be aware of it. And, but we have the responsibility of leading people to the Lord. Amen. Hallelujah. I know for myself, you know, I, 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 when I was brought up in a Christian home, I knew about Jesus and the Word. But through experiences, I had got somehow offended with anybody that tries to lead me to Jesus. I got very argumentative, very angry about it. But I thank God that I had a praying mother who never gave up on me. Uh, aren't you glad that someone invited you to church? It's, it's so important to understand that because, you know, Pastor Danny shared with me that there's a Dutch saying that when you translate it into English is, no, you've already got yes, you can only gain. And what that means is that sometimes when people, we, we invite people to church and you ask them to come, they say no. And if you ask them like 10, 12 times, eventually they get angry and say, don't invite us. Like I eventually got to and ask me one more time, I'll walk out your life. And we, we can sort of back off, like we don't want to. But, but if you don't ask somebody again, no is already your answer. So even if you ask them, you get no. If you don't ask them, you get no. But if you don't ask them, you'll never get a yes. Just in asking one more time, aren't you glad someone asked you one more time? Because in that time that I was asked, I came and in coming, I heard the gospel for the first time like I'd never heard it before and I was saved. Are you getting a hold of this? It's, it's getting somebody to the place. Because here's the thing, you and I, you know, you may never get behind a pulpit. You may never be able to preach. Even some people say, I don't know how to lead people to Jesus. We make it easy. Get them in the building. You see, that's what we've got to understand, that this is part of growing and expanding the kingdom of God. When I first went to church, I didn't go in wondering who paid for this, who paid for the building, who paid for the lights, why is the sound system? None of that was there. I just came for the gospel. Yet that building existed because somebody was generous. Somebody provided the platform so that I could hear the gospel. And so now that I'm born again, I know when I first got saved, I had a whole list of needs. How many of you know what I'm talking about? The first two, three months, it's please, Lord, please, Lord, please, Lord. I mean, I had to be, my wife needed healing. I needed deliverance in our finances. I needed so many things sorted out in my life. And God was doing amazing things in my life. But then eventually you get to a place where you say, now I'm born again, I'm saved, everything's blessed. But here's the thing, the gospel's not just for me. I said the gospel is not just for you. Isn't that right? If it was only about me getting to heaven, well, then it stands to reason the most efficient way if you want to get someone saved is just leave two or three really strong evangelists on the earth that, can, that you know will never backslide. And then those that are saved, and you know, some people can get saved and then backslide. You don't want the backslide to happen. So the moment they give their life to Jesus, rapture them. You know, every altar call, call the people forward. You believe in Jesus? Yes, amen. In heaven, because if that was God's only purpose, was getting people to heaven, it would stand to reason the moment they give their life to Jesus is put them in heaven. Why leave them on the earth? 
because we're not here just for me. We're here to expand this gospel and preach it to others. And it's important to understand this because if you have a look at Acts chapter 10, verse 1, there was a certain man in Caesarea called Cornelius, a centurion of what was called the Italian regiment, a devout man, one who feared God with all his household, who gave alms generously. Everybody say generously. He gave alms generously to the people and prayed to God always. Now, it's interesting about this man, that word alms is a word that means gifts, it's A-L-M-S. So he gave gifts generously and he prayed. Now, this is an Italian man. He's Roman. Now, that tells me he's not a Jew. This is not a Jew, it's a Gentile. Up to this point of the gospel, the Jewish people believed that salvation was only of the Jews, for the Jews. Jesus is Jewish, all the disciples were Jewish, all the people that they were leading to Jesus were Jewish. But now this man, he would not have even been allowed to go to synagogue. We would say that, you know, go to church today. He never, he wasn't allowed to go to church. And yet he loved God. So obviously he had been listening on the sidelines. He'd been listening to conversation, maybe someone spoke to him, but there was a desire in him to serve God. And something interesting comes out of this account in verse three. About the ninth hour of the day, he saw a clear vision of an angel of God coming in and saying to him, Cornelius, when he observed him, he was afraid and said, what is it, Lord? And so the angel said to him, your prayers and your alms, your giving, have come up for a memorial before God. Everybody say memorial. memorial. Now, send men to Joppa. Send for Simon, whose surname is Peter. He is lodging with another Simon, a tanner, whose house is by the sea. And he will tell you, what you must do. That's very interesting. Because he has a man who loves God and God evidently wants to get the man saved. That angel could have sat him down and led him to the Lord. But you notice he doesn't. He says, you need to get a man to come and speak to you. Wow. Isn't it interesting? The privilege of leading people to Jesus has only been given to you and me, men and women. The gospel has to come through the mouth of a human. That angel could not even lead him to Jesus. But you notice something triggered God to make sure that he would be led to the Lord. Because up to that point, the Jewish people thought they couldn't even talk to a Gentile. Here's a man who loves me, needs to be saved. The Bible says, for God would have that none should perish. He wants everyone to hear the gospel. He wants to give. He didn't just die for the Jews. He died for all mankind. But no one's preaching to the men. But he got God's attention. How did he get God's attention? It says that his prayers and his giving came up as a memorial. Everybody say memorial. memorial. What is a memorial? A memorial 
we know what that is. It's, it's either a huge building that is built or a statue or some kind of structure that when we see it, it commemorates something. It's, it's put there to remind us. It's, it's usually in a very prominent place on top of a hill or in the center of the city or something like that. And so whenever we see it, we are reminded of something. That's what sometimes we need to understand when, you know, when there was this whole movement to take down statues. Now, whether we agree with it or not, whether we think it should happen or not, or whether, you know, this is not a political statement. I'm not cause, calling any kind of judgment on it. But why is it that some people are so passionate about taking that statue down? Now, some of it might be politically motivated. As I said, I'm not talking about that. But for some people, when they see that, it reminds them of something that causes pain. It's, it's something that, that hurts them. And so by seeing it every day, it's hurting them. So why would we take the statue away? Because I don't want to be reminded every day of that problem. See, that, that's usually, that, that would be a root to that. Now, that's on the negative side. It just shows you how powerful a memorial can be. Because obviously there's the positive side. There are some things that we should never forget. Sometimes things have happened, they should never have happened, and we don't want it to ever happen in the future. And a memorial helps to remind you of that. I know even in my own house, I have certain memorials. They are, they are little items or things that I've put in certain strategic places. When I see it, it evokes me to pray for that thing. Certain things, when I see that, I remember to pray for that. Certain places in the city, when I drive around, when I pass certain places, just that place reminds me to make that confession. Are you with me? Now, that's not ritualistic. It's not, uh, you know, a religious icon or anything like that. It's just something that reminds me. Because how many of you know, can someone go three or four days and think, oh, I'm supposed to be praying for? Has that ever happened to you? But by having a memorial, it reminds you. And here's God got to a point, now you know God never sleeps nor slumbers, so He doesn't have days. But can you imagine every time He wakes up, you can put it that way, you know, every day He looks, there's this memorial hanging in front of Him. There's this memorial, every day, it's there. This man's prayers and He's giving. This man's prayers and He's giving. And God says, we're gonna get this man saved. And He sends an angel. If men don't come to you, I will send you to go find the man. You see how this memorial is so powerful. Now, what was this memorial? What reminded God? It says two things. One, prayers. The other, His giving. Now, prayers, I understand that because the Bible says all our prayers come up before Him and He hears every prayer. And the Bible tells us that if we've heard our prayer, we believe because He's heard it, He will answer it. So, yes, I understand that. But why is giving such a powerful memorial? Because it, it was His prayers and giving. And the writer felt it necessary to mention both because that's what evoked God. That was the memorial. So where would this have come from? Well, if you have a look at Galatians chapter 3, verse 8, the scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached. Now, those are interesting statements. It says it preached the gospel to Abraham. Now, when, I don't know about you, when I use the word scripture, it sometimes still slips out of my mouth because it's so 
in there, as we've used it for years. When I say scripture, we think of a written verse. Isn't that what scripture is that? We kind of refer as the written verse. Yet, yeah, we see the scripture, a number of things. One, foreseeing. Two, spoke, preached. Three, saying. Now, I can understand if you read a verse in the Bible, it can speak to you. <laughs> but this, what's this scripture also foresues. It could see something in the future. So, obviously, this is a person. So, who are we talking about here? Well, the Word tells us in John chapter 1, verse 1, in the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God, and the Word was God. And then verse 14, that Word became flesh and dwelt amongst us. Who's that? That's Jesus he's talking about. So before he was Jesus the man, he always existed as God, but known as the Word. So the Word of God is not your Bible. The book, the printed book, I know we refer to it as the Word of God, but technically that's not true. The Word of God is a person. The Word of God is Jesus, God the Word. Then the Word was spoken to men, revealed to men, and then they wrote it down. That today is the written manifestation of the Word of God. But here's what's so powerful, is that when you take that Word and read it out loud, like even now, I've been reading verses to you. You've been listening to my voice. If, someone, if you're listening later, you listen either on a podcast or whatever, someone says, oh, I recognize who that is. That's Pastor Alan. You may know my voice, but it's not Alan. When I read a scripture, it is literally God speaking. It's not just Look what is written. Let me remind you of what it says. When I read it out loud, that is God speaking to us. And this scripture, God speaking, knowing that he wanted to save the Gentiles, had to preach the gospel to Abraham. Now, if we say word gospel, what do you hear? Because you say any word, we all got different interpretations. If I said the word dog, I don't think anybody thought D-O-G. The moment I said dog, you may have had a quick picture in your mind. That maybe it's your dog at home. Maybe it's a dog that you would like. Maybe, but we all had a dog. If I asked you to describe a dog, I can guarantee you for as many people are here, we might have that, that many different dogs. Isn't that right? Big dog, small dog, black dog, white dog, straight hair dog, curly hair dog. Are you with me? It, 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 that word dog alone can evoke a lot of different meanings. So the same way, if I say gospel, what is the gospel? Well, you know, people immediately say, well, it's the good news. Yes, but what is that? What is the good news? And I interviewed different people. I said, tell me what the gospel is. And I wrote it all down. Probably by the most, because we are well educated in the word here, is we would have a nice, maybe a page long or two pages describing, if I use every single statement, all slightly different, but we'd have the whole gospel. You know, Jesus loves us, he died, came to the earth, was born as a man, raised in wisdom, died, paid the price, took our sin, 
bore sickness and disease, became poor that we could be rich, and then he paid full price, rose from the dead, he's alive today. Are you with me? You come out, you can take a, can teach a whole message on what the gospel is. But just for today's purposes, yeah, it's summarized in one line. Paul is saying the scripture, knowing the Gentiles would be saved, preached the gospel to Abraham beforehand, saying, What did he say? In you, all the nations of the earth shall be blessed. Say, I've just heard the gospel. In you, all nations shall be blessed. Well, when did that happen? Well, let's go have a look at it. Genesis chapter 12, Paul said, this is the gospel. So let's read it. Verse one. Now the Lord had said to Abraham, get out of your country from your family and from your father's house to a land that I will show you. I will make you a great religion. Oh no, what did he say? I will make you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great and you shall be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you. I will curse him who curses you and in you all the Families of the earth shall be blessed. Everybody say generations. Family, God is a God of generations. He says to Abraham, I'm going to bless you. But you notice, Abraham at this point is not serving the Lord. He didn't wake up one day and said, let me go find if there's a God that will bless me. He's just minding his own business. And then God appears to him and then says, I have chosen you. Now, why did he choose Abraham? Now, if we study it out, I don't have time to go look at all the verses today, but you will find the reason God chose Abraham is because he was a man who taught his children well. Isn't that interesting? God says, I've chosen him because he teaches his children. Why would God do that? Well, he said, I'm not just yet to bless you. You're going to be a blessing. Not only that, you're going to become a great nation, but I'm not just yet to bless this nation, you. I'm yeah, you're going to be a blessing to nations. In other words, this is a worldwide message. But to reach the earth, I can't give it to a selfish man who'll keep it to himself. I need to give it to somebody that I know will teach their children what I tell them, what I'm telling you today. Now, it stands to reason if he's taught his children well, not only will he teach him what God told him, he'll teach his children to tell the next generation. Why? Because Jesus, God's looking down through the ages and Jesus is still gonna be born thousands of years later. But I need to know there's a nation that will not just keep it to themselves, but teach the next generation that will take it and teach the next generation so that I can bring the manifestation of this gospel into the earth. And he takes Abraham and teaches him this. So you can track the life of Abraham and the Bible says he's a man that pleased God because he lived by faith. And you get down to Genesis chapter 14. As you know, Lot, his nephew was captured and his families, and then Abram took the men that were servants in his house, went and conquered the kings and got them all back. 
as well as got all the spoils of the war. And then he goes to his priest, verse 18, Genesis 14, verse 18, Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought out bread and wine. He was the priest of God most high. Now, look at that. We still don't have a religion. Yet he's the God, priest of the God most high. So there were men that represented God in the earth already. And Abraham goes to his priest and then Melchizedek says to him, verse 19, Melchizedek blessed Abraham and said, blessed be Abraham of God most high, possessor of heaven and earth, and blessed be God most high who has delivered your enemies into your hand. God has delivered your enemies into your hand. And what's the response? And Abraham gave Melchizedek a tithe, a tenth of all. That's an interesting response. See, that's when you bring up the concept of the tithe. Sometimes people, you know, they, get, they say, isn't that under the law? And uh, is the tithe really necessary? You know, because we already blessed and there's the tithe is not there to buy the blessing. I want you to notice something here. Abraham's already blessed. He's not tithing to get the blessing. Come on, you got to get a hold of this. Abraham's not tithing to stop the curse and get the blessing. God's already called him blessed. So then why did he tithe? Good question. Because if you keep reading, you will find that the king of Sodom comes to Abraham and says, all right, you can keep all the goods, but give me the people. Isn't that interesting? The devil's always after people. That's who he wants. He doesn't care what stuff you got. You can keep it all. You can be a millionaire, but give me the people. Why? Here's the thing. Things don't carry the gospel. Things can't preach the gospel. People carry the gospel. See, you can take my house, my car, empty my bank account, take the pulpit away from me, even take my physical Bible, but you cannot silence my testimony. You have something God has done in your life. You have a word from God and no one can stop you from preaching it. And Abraham knew this and he said, no, that's not going to happen. You think this was about the money? In fact, I'm not even going to take a shoelace. No man will say he made Abraham rich. See, that, that, there you can see in Abraham's mind, he wasn't tithing to get rich. We've got to understand why we do these things. A lot of people can pick up the wrong idea and the devil can twist it and get us so offended with the message that we lose the power of it. So he wasn't tithing to get rich. In fact, he said, keep the stuff. He wasn't tithing to get blessed. He's already blessed. He's not tithing under religious law. He's, he, he just, he's serving God. So why did he tithe? He recognized everything he did and has and got and can do is because of God and I'm honoring him. See, that's what the devil wants to rob is that honor for God. That's the bottom line. Everybody say honor. And so Abraham obviously walked in this. The Bible tells us very clearly that he is the father of our faith. 
Bible tells us that he pleased God in all ways. And without faith, it's impossible to please God. And faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. That tells me. The Bible, in fact, says whatever we do that's not of faith is sin. So the fact that he brought that tithe had to be by faith. So where would have he got it? Well, it's implied from the Word. If he did it and it pleased God, he did it by faith. See, that's where we also have to recognize is that when we do anything in the kingdom of God, that action, we can get to a place where, you know, the Bible's very clear is that we aren't saved by works. Isn't that right? For by grace you save by faith, not because of works. So our works are not what keeps us saved. The works are not what gives us salvation. But we understand that doesn't negate the works. The Bible tells us in James chapter 2, verse 1, that also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. Isn't that interesting? You say you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith without your works, and I will show you my faith by my works. You believe that there's one God. You do well. Even the demons believe and tremble. That's an interesting statement. I, you, know, I, you know, I don't think God's going to be moved whether I tithe or not. He's God and I just trust Him. I just believe God. You know, I don't see why I have to do anything. Well, the Bible is quite clear here. Even the devil believes. How do you know the devil believes in Jesus? He was confronted by him. You and I still believe by faith that he is alive. The devil's actually seen him. He's been whipped by him. He knows Jesus bore every sin. Isn't that right? He saw every sickness and disease taken. He believes. Does that help him? No. It has to be responded with. So he says, just because you go to church and you believe, you recognize there's something that's going to happen as a result. Verse 20, do you want to know, foolish man, that faith without works is dead? Verse 21, was not Abraham our faith justified by works when he offered Isaac, his son, on the altar? Do you see that faith was working together with his works and by works, faith was made perfect. In other words, you're saved by faith without the works. But now that you are saved, you have faith. That faith is developed in the works. You are saved to good works. And the scripture was fulfilled, which says... Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him for righteousness. That's Genesis 15 verse 6. He was called the friend of God. You see then that a man is justified by works and not by faith only. What is that saying? In relation to what I've just described, when he heard he's blessed, it activated an action. Do you believe you're blessed? Yes, same man. Well then, are you tithing? Oh, no, 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 no. You see, there's that activation. If I truly believe God has blessed me 
and I truly believe He supplies my every need, then that tithe is not going to make any difference to the way I live. Are you with me? It's not going to, if, if, if I give it, it's not going to cause anything less in my life because God still blesses me. I'm blessed with knowing He's God. Not because that money can do something for me. You're getting a hold of this. So, Abraham lived by faith. Whatever he did, he acted. He knew he could sacrifice Isaac because he was the seed to the many generations. So even if I sacrifice him, Hebrews tells us he saw Isaac raised from the dead. And so in proof of that, he moved forward and he acted. You just say, God, I believe, amen, hallelujah. God says, that's enough for me. Now, in his action, God said, now I know that you trust me. Can you see that? So, did he pass that on? Because he's a man who teaches his children. Well, let's have a look at the life of Isaac, Genesis chapter 26, verse 1. There was a famine in the land, beside the first famine that was in the days of Abraham. Now, what's a famine? A famine is where there's a lack of food. Why would there be a lack of food? Chances are there's a drought, and because of the drought, they're not able to produce food. There's a lack of money or whatever reason, but people are struggling. They're not able to eat. How many recognize that in South Africa right now, we have a famine? It may not be a drought, a physical rain drought or a lack of food in the, in the supermarkets, but if you look at the financial pressures, interest rates are very high. You look at the pressures of our utilities that aren't, haven't been working, that have been you know, destroyed through corruption and broken down through lack of maintenance. You look at the whole of the nation, a lot of people have been struggling. Uh, people have been battling. You may have felt the pressure of that. And so one could say that would be equivalent to a famine. Now I want you to see what happened. Isaac went to Abimelech, king of the Philistines in Gerar. The Lord appeared to him and said, do not go down to Egypt, live in the land of which I shall tell you. Now Egypt is a type of the world system. In other words, when there's pressure, there's trouble, it's easy to start looking at natural solutions and God says, don't go to the world system for your solutions. You do what I tell you to do. And then verse three, God commands him, dwell in this land and I will be with you and bless you. For to you and your descendants, I give all these lands and I will perform the oath which I swore to Abraham, your father. What are we listening to? The gospel that we've just heard in Genesis chapter 12 is just the same word has now been spoken. Verse four, I will make your descendants multiply as the stars of heaven. I'll give to your descendants all these lands and in your seed all nations of the earth shall be blessed. Why? Because Abraham obeyed my voice, kept my charge, kept my commandments, kept my statutes and kept my law. Now, family, you recognize that's not religious law. This is something he's heard from God. And whatever he heard from God, he obeyed. So what was the result? Verse six, Isaac obeyed God. He dwelt in Gerar, right there where the famine is. And come down to verse 12. 
Then Isaac sowed in that land. What man in his right mind will take good seed and put it in the ground of where it's known to be a famine? There's a drought. Why would he put seed in the ground when no one else is sowing seed? You could have used that for food. No, he believed God. He had heard from Abram, if God calls you blessed, you can sow right here, even if your neighbor's crops are dying. Oh, come on, in the middle of a drought, in the middle of a famine, in the middle of the whole economy collapsing, you can still trust God. And he sowed in that land and he reaped in the same year a hundredfold and the Lord blessed him. Again, notice, the harvest is not the blessing. The blessing is what God puts in his life. But on the action of his faith, he reaped the harvest. And then the man began to prosper, continued prospering until he became very prosperous. So evidently, this man was a tither, even though it's not mentioned. He trusted God. How do I know that? Remember, teach your children. So what about his son? Let's go and have a look at Genesis chapter 28. Now, remember what happened is that Jacob managed to con his father and stole the birthright that belonged to Esau. And when Esau found out about it, he got very angry and he wanted to get, hurt his brother. And so Jacob fleed in fear of his life. And in him fleeing from God, he has an encounter with God. And in waking from that encounter, in verse 20, Jacob made a vow saying, if God will be with me and keep me in this way that I'm going and give me bread to eat and clothing to put on so that I come back to my father's house in peace, then the Lord shall be my God. And this stone which I've set as a pillar shall be God's house. And of all that you give me, I will surely give a tenth to you. Where did he come up with this idea of giving a tenth to God? He must have been taught by his father and his father's father. Because I want you to notice the response again. Evidently, Jacob had strayed from the Lord because he's now saying that I will come back, then the Lord shall be my God. He is saying what my father taught me, what my grandfather taught me, it seems like I'm in trouble now because I've strayed away from God. But I'm making a decision. I'm now going to set this place as the house of God. Notice, not a religious organization. This is the house of God, Bethel. And when I come back here, of all that you give me, I will give a tenth. See, some people want to argue under the law that the tenth, the tithe is only grain or animals. But notice his wording. He says, of everything you give me, of whatever you give me. Doesn't all include all? Why? That's what all means. So he says, when I do that, I will come back and honor God because he is my God. So did it work for him? Did, did God honor that word? Well, as you recall, Jacob fell in love with Rachel, wanted to marry her, and Laban said, you can have her as a wife. 
if you work for me for seven years. He did that. And Laban gives Leah as his wife. And when that's revealed, he realized he still wants Rachel as a wife. So Laban says, then you work another seven years, which he did faithfully. And in fact, he went on working for Laban. In fact, almost 20 years. And eventually Jacob approaches Laban and says, I want to now go establish my own household. And he comes to him and says he wants to go and leave the house. And Laban tries to talk him out of it. Genesis chapter 30, verse 27, Laban said to him, Please stay, for I have found favor in your eyes, if I have found favor in your eyes, for I have learned by experience, the Lord has blessed me for your sake. Now, isn't that what the Lord said? I will bless those who bless you. There's something about the blessing. It's generational, but it also flows to whoever else gets involved with you. God says, if anything tries to stop this blessing, I will stop them. The devil cannot stop you from being blessed. And those that get involved with it, they will also be blessed. And if you think about it, imagine there's a valley full of farms. Let's say there's 20 farms in the valley, but there's only one man and woman of God. The family that loves God, serves Jesus as their Lord and Savior, they're born again Christians. The rest of the farms, they're all atheists. But let's say there was a drought, but that family gets together and they call on their covenant with God and say, Father, you've blessed us. Now I'm asking you to bring rain to this valley in the name of Jesus. And God answers and then they wake up the next morning and there's just a tube of rain falling on their farm. Is that what happens? That whole valley gets rain. God rains on the righteous and the unrighteous. Why? For the righteous sake. The neighbor next door doesn't even know why it's suddenly raining. He's thinking, wow, these things happen. Yeah, there's a righteous man next door. That blessing flows over. Family, wherever you are is blessed. You walk into your business, it's blessed. You walk into a shopping mall, that's blessed. You put your hand to something, it is blessed. That blessing flows through you. Whatever you touch, your family is blessed. Your ministry is blessed. Shout amen. Amen. And he says, I see this. So I'm asking you to stay here. So Jacob considers this and he says, look, no, I need to be on my way. And he says in verse 30, for what you had before I came, he's telling Laban, was little. It's increased to a great amount. You're rich because I'm here. You're rich because I'm here. I've seen it happen. When I go places, that organization, that institution sees the blessing manifesting in their lives. You've probably seen it as well. Amen. And it's increased to a great amount. The Lord has blessed you since my coming. But now I want to provide for my own house. And so they negotiate and God gives Jacob a strategy with the animals. We won't look at that in detail now. You can go read it in your own time. But I want to see the result. Verse 43. Thus Jacob became exceedingly prosperous he had large flocks, female and male servants, camels and donkeys. So evidently, this blessing that God had spoken, as Abraham manifested it, he spoke it to Isaac and Isaac to Jacob. It was working. And you keep reading, God speaks to Jacob about him going back and he says to him, it's because of the vow you made for me in Bethel. You see that? Because you honored me, you've seen the blessing at work. Hallelujah. 
So that'll help us have some insight in Malachi chapter 3. Let's go and have a look at this. Now, Malachi chapter 3, we understand, is spoken under the law system. Eventually, the tithe was brought into the law. It's not a different tithe. It's not a legal religious tithe. It's that God wants to see Israel blessed the same way Abram, Isaac, and Jacob, who becomes Israel. So God wrote it into the law in a way that he could manifest the blessing. But if you look at Malachi 3, you can still look at the principles. The principles are exactly the same for everything related to the tithe. One of the things that you study out of Malachi, the reason God's addressing them is because their attitude had grown sour. And if you read through it, that's constantly about their approach. They were saying, they look at everybody around them. They're not serving God. All the other nations are heathen and they seem to be doing better than we are. What's the point of giving and honoring God? In fact, they got to a place where they started giving God the broken and the, the lame and the damaged animals because, you know, they've got to give something, but it's pointless giving the best. And God says, do that with your governor. That, that's a good thing to look at. What's he saying? Try that with your government. How many of you, know, how many of you pay tax here? You should. If, if it's, you give to Caesar what is Caesar's, amen. So if you're earning, you're paying tax. But if you notice, the tax man doesn't even trust us. He takes it before it's in your bank account. He's not going to see if you return it. Isn't that right? In fact, if you get anything that doesn't go through a system, you have to still declare it. And if they find out you didn't, tie, you didn't tax on it, then what happens? They arrest you. Now imagine someone's in a court system. They say, no, look, I know I used that, 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 that tax, but you know, that month I had to, you know, my, my grandmother needed, needed a place to stay and my, my children and the, the, the interest rates. Have you seen the interest rates? They're just so high. I have to pay my bond, you know, can't lose my house over this, so I use the money. And the taxman says, oh no, we understand. <laughs> is that what happens? And that's what Malachi is saying. You're not going to try that with a taxman. So God is now dealing with a heart attitude. Everybody say heart attitude. And so he gets down to verse 6 and he says in Malachi 3, I am the Lord, I do not change. Therefore you're not consumed, O sons of Jacob. Yet from the days of your fathers, you've gone away from my ordinances. You've not kept them. And God says, return to me and I will return to you, says the Lord of hosts. But you said, in what way shall we return? And God says, get back to church, sing more songs and pray more. Is that what he says? Look what he says. It's very interesting. Verse 8, will a man rob God? Yet you have robbed me. But you say, in what way have we robbed you? It seems unthinkable. How could you say I would steal from God? And God says, in tithes and offerings. God begins with the tithe. Why would he say, you've robbed me of tithes? Well, if you keep your marker here, we're coming back. Have a look at Leviticus chapter 27, verse 30. God says, all the tithe. How much? All the tithe of the land, whether the seed of the land or the fruit of the tree, is the Lord's. It is holy to the Lord. It's holy. Family, the tithe is a holy thing. 
It's not something you and I get to decide what we do with it. God's already described it that it's his. Based on the response of Abraham and Jacob, God has established that for all time now, the tithe is his. So number one, it's to honor God. If you're gonna honor me, it begins with that tithe. Then the result of that, if you go back to Malachi chapter three, he says, yeah, verse nine, you are cursed with a curse, for you have robbed me, even this whole nation. Now notice, God doesn't say, I will curse you. That's where some people, again, misunderstand. They think the tithe will stop the curse. The tithe will get that blessing back. And God's not saying that. He's saying, because you haven't tithed, you're cursed with a curse. But we, we, we're born again. We're children of God. We're Christians. We are blessed. How many believe you're blessed? Well, then I can't be cursed. Well, hang on. Just before we go down that road, think about this. When you got saved and you're born again, how many believe you're blessed? Let me see your hand. You believe you're blessed? Okay. Now, not only did God pay for your salvation, Jesus also bore every sickness and disease. Isn't that right? The Word says He bore every sickness and disease and by His stripes you have been healed. Now, why would that be included in his death and resurrection? Because Galatians 3 tells us he became the curse. And if you go read Deuteronomy 28, sickness and disease is listed on the curse side. So sickness and disease is from the curse. Yes? Yet Jesus paid for it so that the blessing of healing is yours. Do you believe that? You sure? All right, since you gave your life to Jesus, how many of you have experienced sickness? Every one of us. But I'm not cursed. And yet, the enemy still tempts us to give up on that blessing. See, if he can get me to a place to I say, oh no, now I'm sick again. What has happened? Even though I believe He's healed me, my action says I'm sick. So now what happened? Faith without works is dead. I have to still believe, even though the manifestation of the curse is showing up. I'm not cursed, but it's showing up. So can you get rid of that sickness and disease? How? By taking the Word, hearing the Word, confessing the Scripture, resisting sickness and disease, and then acting as someone who's healed. See, it, it takes faith with works. And when you activate it, you get rid of what's causing the problem. And God's saying, you saying all the nations are blessed and you not, why? You're in poverty, you're struggling, you're battling. Let's address the real issue here. The reason is you've stolen the tithe. And he says, bring it back. Are you getting a hold of this? Now, why would he say that? Notice, what's the purpose of it? He says in verse 10, bring all the tithes into the storehouse. Why? That there may be food in my house. That there's food in my house. See, here's the thing. God has designated the tithe to increase his kingdom. Food in the house of God, what's that for? 
Well, the Bible tells us when Jesus was tempted by the devil to turn the stone into bread, he said, man not, shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. God's word is the food to our lives today. So God has designated the tithe for that purpose. So if I feel I need to use the tithe for something else, but I still come and receive the food, the word, that's like going to a restaurant and then the bill arrives and then you say, look, my granny needs this money. I enjoyed the food, thank you, but I know you love people, you love me. Amen. Aren't you a Christian? Yes, you should sow. Sow into my life. I'm going to go use this money for my granny. You wouldn't do that. If you had a business and you did work for someone, I think you expect to be paid. Isn't that right? See, family, there's a law of sowing and reaping. Whatever we do on one side happens on the other. Have you noticed that the whole of, of creation is designed that way? There's a, there's a natural law. Water always finds its level. If I had a bent pipe, you imagine a bent pipe and I fill it with water. You notice water on both sides is the same height. So if I take water out this side, notice it doesn't get shallower. It balances out. It's got to come from somewhere. And so if I'm using the Lord's tithe for myself, it's going to come from somewhere. And it might be a customer that never pays his bills. There's a balancing. Are you with me? So what I do, if I want to see my business blessed, all my customers, I want to see an increase of customers, I honour God, you are blessing my business. That means whatever I receive, I honour you because I want to see your kingdom increase. I want more people to hear the gospel. I may be saved. I might have everything met in my own life. But even if I leave here, if Jesus doesn't come in my lifetime, this that I've sown into will stay behind and keep preaching the gospel. Others will use it. Others will come to hear the word. Others will speak from this pulpit. And if they pass, my children, they have children and they have children and we 200 years, Jesus still hasn't come for some reason. He's coming later. This whole generation that's alive could have passed and the generation we don't even know yet will come in and they will continue because of what you been sowing. Come on, give Jesus praise if you can see that. And God gives an astounding promise here and He says, if you will do this, try me now in this. If I will not open for you the windows of heaven and pour out for you such blessing, there's not room enough to receive it. And I will rebuke the devourer for your sakes and it shall not, he will not destroy the fruit of your ground nor shall the vine fail to bear fruit for you in the field, says the Lord of hosts, and all nations will call you blessed. Say the gospel, for you shall be a delightful land, says the Lord of hosts. Amen. Notice what's he saying. You get involved with my work, I will make sure your work always prospers. The enemy cannot stop your source of income when you're honoring me. I will take it personally to protect you. Hallelujah. And you can see that borne out by the mouth of two or three witnesses. Proverbs chapter 3 verse 9 says, Honor the Lord with your possessions. It's an honor. It's not about buying anything. It's not about pushing that curse back. It's buying the blessing. Whatever people come up with their arguments, it says, yeah, it's honor. Say that, honor. honor. 
You honor the Lord with the first of all your increase. And God does give a promise. He says, so your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will overflow with new wine. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Ham, you can see this is a generational blessing. And because I have tithed, my children are blessed. Their children's children are blessed. And even when I'm gone, the children's 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 children will be blessed. Hallelujah. And this gospel will continue to be preached because there are generous people. And that is the memorial that goes up before God. You're honoring Him. And God will send angels, will get people involved, send people to come and talk to lost family members, will move on your behalf because you've put Him first. Hallelujah. Has this blessed you? Amen. So family of God, I want to encourage you. For those that have already been tithing, this word has been a word of encouragement. Sometimes we can lose track and it becomes a religious ritual. Never, ever, ever tithe out of fear. Oh, if I don't tithe, the devil's going to get me. Stop right there and renew your mind to what I've explained today. Because it must be done from a heart of faith. You honor God. Amen. So if nothing else, I want this to be a reminder. That I'm doing this to honor God, to serve Him first. If you haven't been tithing, make a quality decision. God says, prove me. It's an activation that He says He will personally oversee. Amen. Amen. And don't lose sight of it because I know the pressures can get heavy. But I know this. Janine and I made a decision. That when we heard this message for the first time, we made a choice. That is never compromised. We've been challenged on many different levels. And it's easy. I've even had a, a financial manager point at my spreadsheet. At the tire that's on top. And said, I can help you if we can use this. I can help you pay off some things. I said, that is non-negotiable. Even in tough times, we never gave up on that. And we've seen God bless us. Amen. So I want to make sure that you're a part of that as well. So if you're doing this for the first time, you can take an envelope, just register on there that you are now a tither. We make a decision to pray over you every single day because I want to see this blessing. Then when you're in a blessed place, just as Isaac did, as you get ready to sow your tithes and offerings for today, 2 Corinthians chapter 9 Verse 6 says, I say, he who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. He who sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Everybody say, generosity. So, let each one give as he purposes in his heart, not grudgingly of necessity. God loves a cheerful giver. How do I give as I purpose in my heart? It means you're not using your head to decide if you do or not. And if I'm giving from my heart, means it's done by faith. Faith comes by hearing, hearing by the Word of God. So I've heard God's Word and I respond from a heart of faith. What happens? God is able to make all grace abound toward you, that you always, having all sufficiency in all things, may have an abundance for every good work. Because it's written, He's dispersed abroad, He's given to the poor. This is that generous person. His righteousness endures forever. Now God who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply the seed you have sown. He'll increase the fruits of your righteousness while you are enriched in everything. For what reason? 
for all liberality, which causes thanksgiving through us to God. What is liberality? It's generosity. In other words, God wants us to continue to be generous. But he doesn't do it. You, you, you're not generous out of your debt. He wants to get you to a place where generosity is easy. Why? Because I've purposed to live that generous life so that others can hear the gospel of Jesus. Hallelujah. Amen. So as you prepare your tithe for today or the offering and the seed that you're sowing, you'll see there's different ways that you can give. You can either give online through EFT or use one of our scanning methods. If you are watching overseas, uh, international, uh, Zappa does accept international cards. And then, of course, you can give by envelope as well. Are you ready? Let's make a faith declaration over that today. Say this. Today, I heard the Word of God. That Word brought faith to my heart. And I am a believer, not a doubter. As a hearer of God's Word, I'm also a doer. And I recognize of all that you give me, it is from you, Father. And because I am blessed, I honor you with the tithe of all. And I do it from a faithful heart, a heart knowing you are you true, knowing that your word is yes and amen, that you sent your word to deliver me. You watch over that word to perform it. Your word does not return void. It accomplishes the purpose you sent it for. And I thank you. I am blessed. I praise you for it. Now I'm going to pray a prayer of blessing. Father, as you see each and every person responding to your word today, just as Jacob said, that of what you've done, you have blessed them. They've increased because of you. And I say that your windows of heaven are open. Now devil, you stop with your interferences. I bind every debt and lack. I bind everything that's tried to steal the finances and cancel those assignments in the name of Jesus. And I thank you, Father, you have called your family blessed. And everything they put their hand to prospers and increases more and more. We praise you for it and give you glory in the name of Jesus. If you receive that, shout the loudest amen.